once saved always saved is garbage. And welcome. Yes, Dr. Paul is alive. But it was touch and go there for a while. Like 32 days worth of misery. But I have come crawling back to the microphone. And I am so glad to be back. Now that doesn't mean I'm 100% here. As I'm sure that my voice will crack from time to time. But I am much better now, and I want to thank everybody for your thoughts and your prayers. It has been a struggle, and we're still not completely done. Got to go do a CAT scan on Tuesday. Hearing isn't completely back all the way. And obviously, neither is my voice. But it's much better than it was. So I hope you have been well. Hopefully bad, battling the bugs and whatever. And we're back to talking about the Christian Constitution. Yes, we're going to move on. And we're going to take on that comment here in a second. About the once saved, always saved comment. How it is garbage. And we're going to show from our continued studies here in the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul taught that very thing. Now, I've named it a little differently than what is commonly known as once saved, always saved. And you'll find that out here in a second. But before I get to there, get to that, I just want to thank all of the new followers. There's so many of you. Like I said, I haven't been around the last 32 days. Gave you a couple of updates to kind of give you an idea where I was going. And lots of people have joined. Uh, I think we're over 150 now. Obviously, I'm not going to rival uh, someone like Taylor Swift or something like that. Not that she does a uh, podcast or anything like that. But still, I don't think this is going to rival that as much as I would like. But I would like to recognize the many who have joined since the last time. And uh, just thank you for being a follower, Nate. Uh, Robinson, thanks for joining. Uh, Keith Benton, uh, thanks for being a follower. There's several of you, several of you here that are anonymous, and that is perfectly fine. Uh, Lady Rambler, welcome to to the podcast. Uh, Shin SCR, I don't know what that means, but at least it's some kind of a name. Stop abortion now. Love the name. Totally agree with you. Uh, maybe sometime we'll do a uh, thing on abortion, uh, a, a podcast on abortion. Somebody's asked me, one of my former students asked me that, you know, when am I going to do a series on abortion and uh, slice and dice it from a, a Christian perspective, a biblical perspective. Sometime we'll get into that. But, you know, I think a lot of what we're doing on this podcast is addressing that anyway. Uh, Scovell 7 welcome. Thanks for being a follower. Uh, Deacon Prince Fasu Appia, 
Uh, I'm assuming that's somewhere across the seas. I noticed on the stats, we're pretty much reaching a vast part of the world now in this podcast. And as I've said before, uh, just in the book of Romans itself, if you will take what's being taught there by the Apostle Paul and apply it, it will revolutionize your Bible study, your church, your city, your county, your state, your country, the world. I guarantee it. It's happened before. So take what you what you can here and apply it. So anyway, Deacon, welcome. Uh, Hallerick, welcome to the program. Uh, Wildcat Wolverine, love the name. Uh, used to be a Michigan Wolverines fan myself, but I don't think this person's necessarily from Michigan. And then Star-Lord, uh, you recently joined today. I just want to thank you for being a follower. Share the program with others. And once again, if you happen to have any uh, questions, you know, for me, that you would like for me to answer, uh, send me an email, uh, podcast at capro, C-A-P-R-O dot info, and I'll try to get back to you as quickly as I can. This podcast can be heard in other forms other than Podbean here. Uh, we're pretty widespread out, and we're growing, and I want to thank Podbean for sticking with me, featuring the podcast. Uh, I, it's, it's in a kind of a, a strange category in news, but I got to thinking about that. Maybe not so strange after all. It is good news. Now, by way of introducing our topic today of once uncondemned, always uncondemned. Let's do a little backtracking here since it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to talk about the Christian Constitution here and kind of set this all up to see where Paul is going here in Romans chapter 8. And in the meantime, while I'm doing that, if you don't already have your Bible, get it. It's the only way you're going to learn God's Word uh, is especially in a study like this, just simply by getting it, opening it up, and reading along with me. Uh, Paul has just got done talking about the sin within, is what I have couched it before. In fact, you know, it, by way of God's providence, and while I was out for the past 32 days, I got to thinking about why all of a sudden the brakes were put on and uh, God wasn't allowing me to move forward with this. And I think it's simply because of this. What the Apostle Paul had been teaching all along in this kind of interlude between chapter 5 and chapter 8 and answering these questions, and specifically here at the tail end of chapter 7, is something we need to hear. Now, that sounded good, didn't it? It's something we need to hear. We need to know why we're doing the things we're doing, we need to know about the effects and power of sin. Something that, well, by and large, much of society has blown past, forgot about, got into self-help type things, uh, psychological counseling and whatever. We've forgotten sin. And yet it is sin that is destroying us, both in our relationships with each other, within our churches, within society at large, and perversion runs rampant. It's sin. And for that reason, I think God said, hey, just right here, stop right here, Paul, and let 
people listen to what I've got to say about this subject. And I'm just telling you that that podcast has been hit time after time after time after time after time since I've been out for the past 32 days. And it serves as the introduction to what we're going to talk about here. Because just because there is sin doesn't mean, especially as a Christian, that you're lost. And that's what, you know, this whole thing about once saved, always saved is about in in many ways because people who claim to be Christians think that because you have sinned in some way that you lose your salvation. Now, they're not very clear in their argumentation when it comes to explaining, well, why and at what point and how much sin needs to be committed before a person loses their salvation than to say, well, you know, hey, you need to be obedient and... and, uh, need to be a law keeper and all this kind of stuff. And as I've pointed out in a booklet I'm writing on this very subject, excuse me, these types of individuals have been around since the days the apostles walked the earth. They had a whole council about it over in Acts chapter 15. And I would encourage you to read that as well. Because the same types of arguments that took place there are taking place today. And it's very the very thing we're talking about in our subject today as well. That once a person is redeemed, you don't have to pile on, you know, all of the legal code of the Old Testament, or you don't need to have some religious organization or cult or whatever telling you what you need to do in order to maintain your salvation. You need to simply come back here to the Bible. The just shall live by faith. And just because you live by faith doesn't mean you're not going to sin. Because you're going to. Sometimes you're going to battle it to the day you go to the grave. Paul makes that perfectly clear. I So I find it to, to the, the law to be that what I want to do something right, evil lies close at hand. It's right next door. And if you don't believe that, you're delusional. Because a lot of people claim to be Christians and I no longer sin. I've had people tell me that. In complete defiance of what God has to say on the subject. Here's the Apostle Paul of all people. An apostle who's laid out this fantastic, wonderful letter about the Christian faith telling us, you know what? I've got a problem with sin. I've got a problem with it. I want to do what's right, and I can't. And yet, I don't want to do what's wrong, and I do it. He says, I delight the law of God. The law of God exposes what sin is, and it tells me my need for him. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, in this body of flesh, another law, another principle that is waging war against the law of my mind. It makes me captive to the law of sin. It dwells in my members. I had somebody tell me in my 32-day convalescence here, as I was, I mean, obviously my fingers worked, so I could t- 
type messages. They were telling me, well, no, wait a second here. That's that's a bunch of baloney. You know, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. I'm not saying you shouldn't be moral, and I'm not saying that the law is bad, and I'm not saying you should chuck the Ten Commandments out the window. You, sh- you should obey them. But you need to realize you're doing it within this fallen body, this fall, fallen flesh. You're still, no matter how hard you try to keep the Ten Commandments, you're going to always fall short. You're not going to fulfill it in the perfection that you think you're going to as you try to maintain what God is doing to save you. And I said, God is doing. You're not saving yourself. You're acknowledging what God is doing in you. So all these people who are saying, no, Paul, you're wrong. You need to do this. And if you don't do that, then you're going to fall from grace and you're going to be lost. That is an abject lie. If the apostle Paul is telling the truth. Because otherwise Paul would have fallen. Paul, the apostle Paul, would have fallen. He would have been lost. But he wasn't. In fact, he's going to make a statement here. It's going to rock this whole nonsense of, well, you can't have eternal security. He's going to rock it to its its foundation and point out just how false it is. This argument against it. And then he says, the apostle Paul, wretched man that I am. Here's a Christian admitting how much of a wretch he was. And I don't know if you really stop and think about it, which a lot of people don't do it. God help us. Get out of this shallow, mealy-mouthed Christianity that means absolutely nothing when it comes to understanding who we are as human beings as well as who God is as a being, as our creator. Because when you stop and think about yourself as God envisions us in our need for him and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. We're wretches. We're wretches. We're lost without him. We're putrid in our behavior, not only towards other people and towards God, but toward ourselves. We constantly deceive ourselves into thinking that we're so much better than we are. I could never do thus and such. Commit an act of murder. Commit an act of adultery. Commit an act of theft. We, 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 we just put ourselves in a position where it's like, you know what? The devil has got us right where he wants us. Because if we start depending upon ourselves. And we call God a liar in the meantime. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the good news on this newsy channel here. It's God who's going to be doing the delivering. And once he delivers, that's final. There's no turning back. 
no matter what you do. Oh, well, see, there you go again, Paul. You're, you're just, you're saying it's okay to go out and commit all these acts. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that's part of living the Christian life. It's not that you condone it or that you embrace it. It's that that's war that's taking place that will last until the day you die. This conflict with the flesh and the sin within, with the mind and the spirit, battling it out. Not saying it's okay to go rob somebody. I'm saying, you know what? Sometimes that temptation is going to be so great. And the devil knows that. And he'll tweak you in a way, and pretty soon you're doing things you never thought you would do. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. Now, did Paul go out and steal? There's no evidence of that. But Paul does talk about having the thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. And God, or the Apostle Paul, kept asking God to take it away. He said, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient for you because it's by grace that a person is even saved to begin with. It's not by your own efforts. It's by God himself who Paul is thinking that he's going to be delivered from this body of death. So he says, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here's a Christian saying this. The, the, the very thing that, is, like I said, this individual is typing back to me saying, no, that's not true. He was, he was lost when he was talking about that. That's not what he's saying here. Lost people do not serve the law of God with their mind. And if this person who was arguing with me, and probably several people want to argue with me about this now, if you'd go back and read the rest of this letter, the very thing that I've spent I don't know, how many is it, 19 episodes? I don't know, a bunch. Talking about this very thing we spent, I don't know how much time, from Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 all the way to Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, where Paul talks about the natural man. The natural man doesn't want to have anything to do with God, let alone serve God with the, with, in the law with his mind. He just soon run from God and hide from him. No, Paul is talking about the Christian here. He's addressing these arguments in this interlude where in Romans chapter 5, verse, verse 1, he's talked about being now that we're justified by faith, we have peace with God, and he's going to turn to Romans chapter 8 right now where he says, then there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you need to memorize that verse. There is no condemnation, none, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Your lot has changed from being this wretch, of which you still get to be a, you know, a, a, a participant as you battle your way through the Christian life, but it has changed from one who is lost, wandering about, you know, doing the, 
the deeds of the devil, so to speak, dead in your trespasses and sins, to being in Christ. That's the positional change that the people who say, well, no, you know, you you can't be eternally saved because you got to do this and that and whatever else. And as I've asked before, well, where are the boasters at then? You know, all these people who want to set up all these blockades and roadblocks to what God is doing in a person's life, for some reason, all of a sudden, they get this weird impiety about them. Or I shouldn't say impiety. They should get this weird piety about them. And they don't want to brag about it. Why not? You're the one that's adding all the extra conditions here where Paul says there's no condemnation. Why? Because God has put that person in Christ. There's no condemnation. In fact, later on, he's going to use this word condemnation in a couple of different ways. What actually does get condemned when God intervenes and then says, who's who's the person out there who's going to be doing the condemning? Because God's the one who justifies. And yet you've got all kinds of people today who are pointing their pious little Christian fingers at the redeemed and say, well, no, 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 you're relying too much on God. You need to do this. You need, Jesus said, you know, if you love me, keep my commandments. But did he say it to get saved? Did he say it to remain that way? No. An expression of love to God, an appreciation to God. Paul then goes on here, and we usually, uh, read this whole thing, so that's what I'm going to do. We're going to go to chapter 17, or verse 17, chapter 17. (laughs) There's only 16 chapters of the book of Romans. But verse 17, Paul says, goes on, he says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And you, your, your version might say something different. I'm reading the ESV here. It's just my preferred. You've got King James or NAS or NIV. That's fine. Just follow along. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. So going back to verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is, this is something I brought up before. Until the Spirit of God sets you free, you're in bondage to sin. The sin nature. That prison cell that I've talked about in previous podcasts. You're going to do things only within that prison cell. You're not going to do things of the Spirit, things that are going to be pleasing to God. You're bound. But this principle of the Spirit of life sets a person free. This is by God's choice, God's movement, as he decides according to his will those that are going to be walking out of that prison cell. And when you walk out, you walk away from the law or the principle of sin and death. They're no longer masters over you. Sin doesn't have mastery over you. Now, that doesn't mean that people who are uh, living a calloused life, carnal life, there are people who do slip back into that way of thinking and, and the like. It doesn't mean that they're you know, that's a totally impossibility because it happens. Oftentimes it happens to the most immature of Christians. They don't stop and think about this. This type of teaching, the book of Romans, it's lost on the church these days. We've gotten away from the Christian constitution. We're all about, you know, wealth and health and the blab it, grab it gospel thinking, you know what, nobody is supposed to sin as a Christian. You're not supposed to suffer from anything. It's all about how much enriches that you can, in material goods, that you can stack up here on earth, and that is a lie. We don't preach about freedom in the biblical sense, and we talk about, you know, sin, okay, yeah, you, you can be a Christian or whatever, and then just go about doing whatever. That's not what's being taught here. You're set free from death unto life. And why is that? 
Why is it that you just can't walk up to God? I don't know how many times I hear people say, oh, you got to go find God, or you got to go find Jesus, or you got to invite Jesus into your heart, and all this garbage. It's garbage. It's God coming, looking for the sinner. It's God who redeems the sinner by his grace. And then by faith, the sinner that acknowledges what he was and who God is and what God has done. But why does it have to happen that way? Because the sinner is totally incapable of rescuing himself. Totally. And if he is totally incapable of rescuing himself, he can do nothing to maintain what God has started. Nothing. And why is that? Because verse 3 has to say, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. God did it. Done with the law. You see, and this is where, this is where the legalists come in here. This, is, this was the legal challenge of, of Acts chapter 15. This is the legal challenge that Paul would eventually write the Galatians about. This is the legalism that we see today when you got the neo-Pharisees out here saying, you know, you got to do this, this, and this, and this in order to, you know, present yourself worthy to enter the kingdom of God. God says, right here, God has done what we can, uh, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You can't save yourself and you can't maintain yourself. God does it. Only God overcame your sin at the cross. And if you're not in that, you're not one of his. That's what the Apostle Paul is going to write here in a second. He says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. And when he did that, he condemned sin in the flesh. He didn't condemn you. You were already condemned. Jesus made that clear over in John chapter 3. You know, and a lot of people like quoting that as a way of saying, well, you see, this is still your choice of doing whatever you want to do. You know, because doesn't it say in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? Of course it does. But who are the ones that do that? Those whom God chooses out of the world. Because he says later on, whoever believes him is not condemned. Who are the ones that believe? Those whom God chooses to give them the faith to be able to rely upon what God has done. He doesn't give it to everybody. Bible makes that clear as well. Not everyone has the Christian faith. And a lot of people say, well, you just got to have faith. You can't just have faith in what God's salvific doings have to do. That makes sense. God must intervene in a person's life and give them that faith. We're going to see that later on in the book of Romans as well. The ones who does not believe according to the way God has set it up is condemned. John chapter 3 and verse 18. But who does not believe, whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Paul saying here, when God sent his Son to the cross, he condemned sin. He condemned it. The very thing that the Apostle Paul had talked about before, you know, if, uh, in fact, he says it over here in, in uh, Romans chapter 6. He's asking one of these interlude questions. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. No. Why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, you know, this is going to get real deep here. Because the Apostle Paul has talked about, you know what? Sin is still in there. Still, Sin is still compelling us to do things even as Christians. But guess what? The Christian has died to it. He's died to it. If he's died to it, then how can he go out and just do whatever he wants to do? How can he say, you know what? I think we're going to go sin so I can get some more grace. Paul says that's impossible. It's ridiculous to think of that. You're dead to it. Act like it. And yet then, once again, this tells us about the power and effect of sin. It still compels this, the saint to do things he, like the Apostle Paul says, he doesn't understand why he's doing it. He doesn't completely have a grasp of the power of sin. But it's there, ever-present. Like he said here, when I want to do what's right, evil is right around the corner. It lives close by. Paul says in verse 4, the reason why, he gives this explanatory explanation of why God did what he did in the person of Christ, in order that righteousness, the righteousness of the law, might be fulfilled in us. You know, that was going to be a, a requirement. If we're going to live in God's heaven, we're going to have to do it God's way. And God has given us a really good glimpse of what it's going to be like there, and it's going to be sin-free. It's going to be done above board. It's going to be done right according to God's standard, not our opinions, or as some people like to think about today, our deconstructed imagination about what we think God ought to be like. No, it's going to be done according to the way God has set it up, not the way we're going to be setting it up. God sent his son to the cross so that we would stand righteous in his presence legally. And when we're in Christ, that's where we're at. That's that positional statement I was talking about earlier. We move from being dead in trespasses and sins to being righteous in God's sight because we're in Christ. Those who no longer walk as a lifestyle, according to Romans chapter four, uh, chapter 8, verse 4, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As the Spirit moves us along, there's two standards here. And you can't live in one and, and do the other. That's where the hypocrisy comes in. But once again, this is still not going to be done perfectly by us, even though we're commanded, be you perfect. You know, as your Father in heaven is perfect, you're only going to do this as you grow up. This is called sanctification, That big, another big 85-cent theological word, where your life is transformed from the old way of living to the new way. 
one that's living according to the flesh, that standard to one that's living according to the spirit. You may say, well, yeah, but what does that entail? Well, you know, eventually maybe we'll do a study on the uh, book of Galatians. I've done one in a personal home study at one time. Some of my students that might be listening to, <clears throat> to this right now probably remember part of that. But the Apostle Paul talks about this standard of living over in the uh, or walking according to the Spirit over in the book of Galatians. Because the Galatians had a problem with this very issue as well. Thinking, you know what, I've got to ad lib here and tack on a few things to my salvation in order for God to save me or for him to continue to approve of me. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, but I say walk by the Spirit, by that standard, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It doesn't mean you're not going to slip and fall on your face from time to time. doesn't mean you're not going to have a battle with sin till the day you die, but you won't be living according to that standard as if it was a norm. It is absolutely abnormal for a Christian to be doing the things in the world, to be doing things like what he talks about here in the book of Galatians. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, that's run rampant in society today. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which is the same word we get for drug abuse. But it could also be, or talk about being involved in the occult. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I've just given you a catalog, that uh, a list of things that are going on today, and many of them Christians approve of. Today! You engage in that kind of garbage as a church, I guarantee you, your lot will be in the pit of hell. Bank on it. Oh, Paul, you're being judgmental. I'm telling you what's right here in God's word. You can't be involved in condoning the crap that we see in the LGBTQ XYZ movement and claim to be a Christian. You can't be out there molesting and or mutilating young boys and girls and confusing them over their sexual identity and claim that you're a blood-bought Christian. That is totally antithetical to what Paul is talking about here, what God has revealed to us. It's damnable. And then on the other side, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And this is from God's perspective when we're talking about love, not Hollywood, where it's about lust and all the things we just talked about and the vices of the flesh. It's because of this that once a person is Christ, the law is fulfilled and the person walks according to the Spirit as imperfectly as he does it. 
but his recourse is that his mind is upon the things of God. Now, obviously not while he's doing it, but I guarantee you this spirit is there saying, hey, hey, you, what are you doing? You're not only being, you know, an affront to me, you're being a affront to God himself. And yet God in his patience and loving kindness and his mercy, he permits that to take place, but he doesn't strip a person, doesn't strip a child of his from their heirship, their sonship, their, their salvation. He'll chastise them. The Bible makes that perfectly clear. Sometimes it may take that person's life, depending on what they did. But we know that what Paul's going to say here at the tail end of Romans chapter 8, that even those things work to the good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God can use those evil, rotten things to his purpose as he chastises his children. He says in verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, this is the standard of theirs, their lifestyle, if you will. They live according to the flesh. They set their minds on those things. And, you know, this is something that escapes the world as they try to point their fingers at everything else that goes on that they think is evil or immoral or whatever as hypocrites, and they want to blame everything else but them or blame some inanimate object. No, sin starts in the heart. Murder. You know, we hear so much about, oh, the, the uh, uh, gun violence out there. You know, it's taking people's lives. Guns never killed anybody in and of themselves. They're inanimate objects. It's a person who starts with murder in their heart that goes out and then uses a gun to kill somebody else. They're the ones that set their minds on the flesh. They've already thought about it in advance. This is what premeditation, premeditated murder is about. You've planned it out and maybe in hopes of getting away with it. Those that live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They're the ones that I said before, they're in that prison cell. They don't have care about God, except to maybe what the Apostle Paul talks about, to suppress the truth about him. That's their whole modus operandi, is they set themselves up as little deities, little idols. They don't come running to God for anything. They're too busy running away from him. On the other hand, Paul says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Friend, if you're a Christian, is that your main priority or your, your, what you spend most of your time thinking about? Or is it clouded by all kinds of neat little things of the world, the, the distractions of the world, the politics, the football Soccer, if you're not in the United States, and that's your main thing wherever you're at in the world. And like I said, this podcast goes all over the world. There are distractions that the devil sets up all over the world so that we'll think about those things, so that we'll, you know, preoccupy ourselves with 
maybe an idol that we can worship that's after our own image, and maybe we can get away with something. It may not be as heinous as murder or as perverted as some of the sexual crap that you see going on in the world. It may not be. It may be something else. But is your mind set upon the things of the Spirit? How do you know they're set on the Spirit? Well, does it have to do with love, joy, peace, and the things I just you know talked about here in the book of Galatians? Does it have anything to do with picking up God's Word and reading it in a, in a Spirit-led way? Or is it something else? Paul says in verse 6, for it is set the mind on the flesh of death. I've said this before, this is where sin leads a person. You know, a fleshly mind involved in all of the, the sinful things, the things I just mentioned here, the, the lustiness of the world, the murder of the world, the drug taking, the stealing, the lying. I said, you know, here not too long ago, lying has become acceptable these days. Well, what do you mean acceptable? It's acceptable. People are constantly trying to deceive one another. And this kind of goes along with what the Apostle Paul had talked about in his letter to Timothy, you know, that men would be, you know, towards the latter days, the end of time, so on and so forth. They'll be deceiving and being deceived. They'll just get worse. Well, it's here. Liars abound. You don't believe me, just... Turn on the TV sometime. Pick up a, or, or go on the internet and just kind of check out what's going on. Just one magnanimous lie after another. And we think we're going to get away with it. It causes death. Death in our relationships with each other. Death in our relationship with God. Death in our relationship with reality. As people wander around in a fantasy world. But Paul says, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul had just gotten done talking about, you know, that the person who's justified by faith has peace with God. The antithesis is that you get to face the wrath of God. There is no life. There is no peace. No matter how hard you try to, you know, get together with your little summits, your little political summits, uh, wherever they might be with the UN or NATO or Israel and Hamas and all of that stuff, all of the stuff you see in Washington, D.C., the stuff you see down, I don't, it doesn't matter. I I've, I've follow the news or try to pretty much for things going around the world and everybody's trying to do things in an orderly manner without God. It's not going to work. More Marxist socialist social programs are not going to bring peace. Paul says in verse 7, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You know, when I've brought this up before, <clears throat> excuse me, to people who are not Christians. Not and, and, and they're unabashed about it. They admit it. And I say, you're an enemy of God. 
You hate God. Oh, no, no, I don't do that. No, no. Yes, you do. If your mind is set on the flesh, you're hostile to God. When you as a Christian, when you involve yourself in whatever might be not Christian, you're being hostile to God. You're being hostile to your father. You're being hostile to the very person who redeemed you. Well, then how can that person be? Because you see, just in a, in a familial way, in a family setting, this happens all the time. Kids are hostile to their parents by lying to them, cheating and whatever. Same type of thing when it comes to the family of God. All kinds of Christians have their thing about lying to God or cheating on him or trying to be, he knows better. That's you being hostile. That's being, that's you setting your mind on the things of the flesh. You want what you want at the time, when you want it, however you want it, and who cares what God thinks? You're going to do it. And then God says, well, okay, now you're going to get the fruit of your labor, and it's a lot of misery. God is not going to be mocked. What a man sows, he reaps. And if you sow to the flesh, guess what you get in return? You get all the corruption that comes with it. Paul says, for the mind that is set on the flesh, it does not submit to God's law. In fact, it can't. And this is what I have been saying all along as we've been going through these podcasts and discussing the book of Romans. A lost person cannot, will not submit to the things of God. He can't. He has no inclination to start with, nor does he have the will to. And yet you hear people all the time say, well, you know, all you've got to do, as I've said before, is, well, you just got to go find God or uh, accept Jesus. Come down front and come and get him. You can go down, I'm telling you. You can go down to the front of that church and go get Jesus, and I guarantee you're not going to get him. It's not until he comes for you. Why? Because you can't submit to God until God enables you to come. This is what John or John talked about over in John's Gospel in chapter 6. As people ignore that. Oh, I've got the will. I've got the free will. You've got nothing. It's the Spirit. Remember what we just read here a second ago? It's the Spirit that gives you the freedom. He's the one that sets you free. So Paul says in verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And don't you think, don't you think it would be pleasing to God if a person came to him? Absolutely. Uh, when they come in the flesh, no. Because you want to bring your own baggage with you. And you want God to overlook all of that. You want God to accept it, in fact. You know, after all, God created you this way, which is a bunch of nonsense as they fail to take account of just what sin has done to them, 
to make them the rich, Paul's word, not mine, or the pervert that they are. No, it's when they come humbly by God's spirit as God draws them. That's what pleases God because it is done by faith, not by the flesh. And so Paul says in verse 9, to Christians, not to lost people, you know, debunking this whole notion that, well, you know, Paul, when he was just talking about this, he was talking about lost people and how he was as a lost person. That is a lie. You are not in the flesh. And this is emphatic. You take a look at this in the Greek. You, however, are not in the flesh is an emphatic statement. In fact, he's going to put in a strong adversative here, Greek term, one that I brought up before. But if you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. It's emphatic. He's talking to Christians here. In fact, if in the fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You know, and I've had Mormons tell me, well, you know, the Spirit, you know, he's, he's this disembodied man, and he's here and there and wherever, and he's caring about these messages and whatever. And as I pointed out to them, if the Spirit of God does not indwell in you, you're not his. So your whole shenanigans here about the spirit being this disembodied man that uh, can only be in one place at a time is an abject lie. Otherwise, there's only one Christian that can be in existence at any one, guy, at any one time. And yet Paul is talking to a group of Christians right here. That was a side note, by the way, on you know the heresy of Mormonism. You're not in the flesh if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, and this is a conditional statement here of reality, the Spirit of God does dwell, indwell the Christian. Paul is making that emphatic here. And when the Spirit of God dwells, there is life. He's not going anywhere. That doesn't mean that he may not be grieved by what you say or do, because he's going to until you repent, till you ask for God's forgiveness. It says over in the... Uh, uh, John's first letter, not the gospel, first letter, first letter. You confess that, and then the slate is clean, wiped clean. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have lost your position in heaven, because once again, you have been transformed to be in Christ. And then Paul makes this, you know, if you, if you were to talk about this in a in a, in an ecumenical meeting, where you got a bunch of pagans and maybe one Christian in there, and you were to bring up this next statement, you would be laughed to scorn, if not criticized, for being, uh, what do they call it, uh, discriminatory. Well, Paul is being discriminatory here when he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. <clears throat> and you can't have the Spirit uh, based on something you think you've done something you think you've secured, something that you think you know you've battened down the hatches and, well, uh, I've done this and that and whatever. 
You can't have the spirit of Christ and deny what we're talking about here and then go off on your own tangent and be a spiritual person. That nebulous spirituality that means absolutely nothing in God's sight. You are either going to be indwelt by the Spirit and then confess the things that what God is saying here is true, or you don't belong to Christ. End of story. Right here in the Bible. God's being discriminatory, which gets back to it's God who does the saving of anyone and seals them for eternity. And then he says, here's another one of these conditional statements of reality, these if statements. But if Christ is in you, which he is, talking to the Roman Christians, although the body is dead because of sin, listen to what he's saying here. The body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, you take a look at this in the Greek once again, and a lot of people don't read Greek or whatever, and and mine is probably not as good as it was when I was back in seminary years ago. But when you take a look at this in the Greek, he's making a contrast between the flesh and the spirit. I think it's between your body, obviously, the flesh, where sin resides and compels you to do things that you don't want to do, not of your own will, but compels you in that way where you do it anyway, and the spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins, your very soul, your very being. Some translations, such as the ESV, which I would disagree with, as well as the King James, I would disagree. They've capitalized this to try to tip off the reader thinking this is the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it doesn't match the context here. I think it's the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And what is that righteousness? That righteousness goes clear back to the first chapter in the book of Romans when he talks about the righteous shall live by faith and that righteousness is found in the gospel and the gospel ends up being Jesus. It's because of what Jesus did that you're now alive. And if you're alive because of what Jesus did, there's not a thing you can do to kill that. You're in him. And there you shall be forever. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, this is a promise coming here. Once again, it is a first-class conditional sense of reality. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, which he just said, uh, is dead. Dead because of sin. Dead because it leads the person away from God. This doesn't necessarily mean that the temple here where the Spirit of God dwells is inherently evil in itself. It's because of the presence of sin that is waging war against our spirit. He will give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit, which I think he's talking about, here it is talking about the spirit of God who dwells in you. It's an interesting uh, uh, 
makeup here. Because if you take a look at this whole thing we've been talking about here for the past hour, from verse 1 all the way to verse 12, the Trinity is present. Salvation for the believer is a Trinitarian event. The Spirit indwells the person. The Spirit of Christ indwells the person. Jesus is the one who's being raised from the dead. God is the one who has done things that the law couldn't do because of our weakness in being able to keep the law. All three characters are alive and well when it comes to the salvation of the person. This is what makes a person a child of God because of all three characters that are involved in it. And so then, because of that, once again, Paul says, so then, brothers, here he's being intimate again. He's not just talking to a bunch of schmoes, although he probably didn't know all of them by name. He still considered them to be brothers. We're debtors. Not to live according to the flesh. Not to go backwards. Not to try to bribe God into giving us more grace by living a sinful life. We're debtors not to live according to the flesh. To live that way, to have that lifestyle. This debunks the whole notion, well, you could just do whatever you want to do. No, we can't. We're not supposed to. And I would say that those who get drunk on Saturday, go to church on Sunday, and then completely forget about it all on Monday and start all over again on Tuesday, they're not Christians to begin with. I don't care what church you go to. So a lot of people say, well, you know, I went and I went to talk to the priest and did my confession and I'm all's good. No, it's not. That priest is a phony baloney. Your high priest is in heaven. And he's making intercession for you. He gave his life for you once, not a thousand times, as the Roman Catholics like to believe. He did it once. He's your intercessor. He's your, quote-unquote, lawyer in heaven, mediating between you and God. He's the one that you owe your debt to, your debt of gratitude, the person you're to love. By keeping his commandments, not out of obligation or uh, in, in a sense that it's going to add something to your salvation, but because you are saved. You're not to live according to the flesh. You're to be dead to it. You're to die to it. You have died with Christ, and in the resurrection you will live with him. In the meantime, you get to struggle, you get to suffer, you get to have all the joys of messing or having sin mess with you. And of course, I'm being facetious. Paul says in verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Doesn't mean that you're going to be losing your salvation, but when it comes to this death, this is separation from the blessings of God. This is what I've talked about before. There are sins that you can commit. You're going to do it once. Other things, God in his permissive will, he'll let you suffer with it, struggle with it, 
You'll be begging him, go, dear God, take this away from me. My grace is sufficient for you. But you live some, or you uh, participate in some of these sins. Uh, I saw here recently with some clown, God forbid, handing out the fentanyl, you know, that drug that kills people with half an ounce of, of, the, of the drug. That's probably way more than that. That's way too much. The, the drug that will kill you on the spot. Yeah, he's been out here peddling it around, killing a bunch of people. And a lot of those people were experimenting, I'm sure. Whether they're young people or old, you're going to commit some sins and you're going to do it once. And this pertains to Christians as well. Don't live that life. Live one that Paul says here that put that you live by the Spirit by putting to death the deeds of the body, and you'll live. You'll have a blessed life. It may not necessarily be to the age of 127. It may be only in your teens. But still you'll have life, eternal life, as well as physical life in this, in this world. You won't have the, the pain and the suffering due to sin. That doesn't mean, once again, the overall, when we start talking about sin and its influence and its effects upon humankind, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be there and cause problems and tornadoes and earthquakes and cancer and all that kind of stuff that came after man fell, but you'll still have that blessing of God's approval, a true meaningful life, not one where people are wandering around today and haven't got a clue what life is about. And they'll say, well, I'll try just about anything. Well, like I said, you'll try some things once, and it'll be over with. And then you'll stand in the presence of God and give an account of yourself. Paul says in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And you'll know this. I thought about this a long time. How do you know this? When you're struggling to lead or live a Christian life, and there's this back and forth struggle with sin and with what is right, you know you're a son of God. And how do you know you know what is right? When you pick up the Bible and read it and take it personally. After all, you're the person who's reading it and God is talking to you. Let God's Spirit illumine your mind. Read the Old Testament. Some parts are going to be pretty darn dry. I'm just telling you. But there are other, going to be other parts of it that are going to be, oh, wow. This is me, and woe is me, for I am a person who is, you know, of unfaithful lips. I'm the person who was rebelled against God, even as a Christian. If you can acknowledge that struggle is taking place as God reveals his will to you, God reveals his commands to you, God reveals what he expects of you, and there's that struggle, then that's the Spirit of God that is speaking to you that's leading you to say what Paul says here in the next verse in verse 15. You know, you're crying out, Abba, Father. If you don't do that, 
And like I said, you're one of these types of persons who gets drunk on Saturday. Oh, you get religious on Sunday. And then you forget it all on Monday. And then it's back to deja vu all over again. You're not a Christian. The Spirit of God doesn't live in you because the Spirit of God is not convicting you to stop doing the stupid stuff. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The fear of the judgment of God. Although we should live out of reverential respect for God. He says, you know, you receive the spirit of adoption. And when Paul's talking about adoption here, I've read you know, different commentaries on this type of thing. You've got to consider the, the, the context of which he's writing this. You know, adoption was a, was a big thing back in the Roman period. Not necessarily to make you a family member, per se, but to, you know, for egotistical reasons. The Roman emperors. Now, God doesn't do it for egotistical reasons. He does it because we cannot, you know, claim ourselves to be right before God in our own efforts. The Spirit of God must adopt us. And I've thought about this before. You know, this is another classic example of, you know, uh, a destruction of the whole idea. Well, I did it of my own free will. A person who was adopted does nothing. They don't put themselves up for adoption. They don't select who the parents are. It didn't happen that way back in the Roman days. It didn't happen today. They must wait for the person doing the adopting to say, we're willing to do this and this and this, and here are our credentials, and we're worthy, you know, by social and civil standards, legal standards, and then they bring that person into the family, irrespective of what that person says. And oftentimes that's just a baby or a young child who doesn't know Bo Diddley about where they came from or where they're going. They may not figure out that they're adopted until years later. And sometimes that doesn't even make a difference because the parents took care of them. And if they take care of our Heavenly Father, takes care of us from the time we were born into his family to the time when it is fulfilled in a glorified body, then we can cry out, Abba, Father. We do it by acknowledging what he's done, not by what we did. We didn't do anything. We didn't deserve anything. God, though, deserves all the credit when it comes to salvation and the preservation of it. And then it says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children with God. And if children, then heirs. And as I said here a second ago, how do you know this? When you're willing to acknowledge this struggle, when you're willing to acknowledge that it is God through his spirit and what Jesus did on the cross to redeem you. When you come to the conclusion, it's not my will who, is, who, is, who was corrupted by the taint of sin, but it's purely of God's will because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his, his good pleasure, it says over the book of, of Ephesians. Then you're willing to say, you know what? I'm a child of God. Because this is what the Spirit has impressed upon me to believe. And what he impresses on me to believe is absolutely true because God is true. 
God is faithful. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And as I've said before, part of this suffering has to do with this struggle with sin, has to do with acknowledging that we're not, we're not everything in a bag of chips when it comes to the things of God. In fact, we're wretches, and we need God, and we need his forgiveness, and we need his regeneration, and we need what the Spirit does to set us apart unto things of holiness and purity. We need that. Otherwise, we're renegades. We're hostiles towards God. We're setting ourselves up as idols in competition with God, and that ultimately will lead to death, the ultimate separation from God himself. This whole thing here, you know, I think is a just a classic uh, argument against this whole idea that once a person is redeemed, they can't always be. They've got to fall back upon their own efforts. Wrong old bucko. Come back here. Read it with comprehension. Let the Spirit of God illuminate your mind. Let the Spirit of God convince you that it's not you who does anything. It's what God does. You can't do squat without God's help. God have mercy on those who think otherwise. And so there we go. (laughs) We made it through a podcast. And, well, the voice wasn't great. (laughs) Kind of of broken up and high-pitched at times. But I hope you got the message. There is no condemnation. None at all to those who are in Christ. Why? Because of what the Spirit of God has done. If you're willing to acknowledge it, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what God is doing in your life to make you more like His Son. Write me. It's old podcast. Not old podcast. It's just podcast. It may be an old podcast eventually. (laughs) Podcast at capro.info Share the message with others. Share the podcast with others. It's the good news that's missing from the world today. Until next time, Lord bless you. May have a great weekend. I'm going to try to keep getting better, and hopefully I'll sound better next time. You take care. Bye-bye.